Good evening, everybody. This is Darius Asemi with GBYR. Welcome to another episode of Unfiltered, along with my co-host, Steve Branda. Good evening, hey, Steve. Darius. How you doing? Mike Rabasi has the evening off. I think he's doing uh, some fundraising for Syrian refugees, yeah, that's what we which understand. is awesome. Uh, by the way, uh, I'm going to put up our, our screen on Syrian re- refugee amount that, uh, that GBYR, GB Homes have raised so far, which is a little over $12,000. That number needs to be closer to 50, but I uh, want to make you all aware. People can still give. People can still give. Uh, go to the website, um, uh, uh, com or gbwire.com. You'll get all the information on, on how to uh, donate for the uh, for earthquake relief in Syria. And that's yeah. through Mercy Corps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Um, Let's move on. We have a great show for you tonight. Uh, several things we're going to get out of the way before we talk into the about the banking crisis. I don't, I don't Let's call say, it a it, crisis. Is it a crisis? Oh yeah. Okay. Like a capital all caps crisis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, before we get into that, we have several cool things. We're going to start off with our poll: Should California Avenue, Ventura, and Kings Canyon streets be renamed? Cesar Chavez Boulevard. And so this is a follow up from last week's show. We talked about this a little bit on last week's show. We had yeah. Pastor B.T. Lewis on. We did. And if you haven't seen that, you can go back to uh, GBY Unfiltered last, uh, last Tuesday. We talked about this a little bit. And we decided we needed to do a, uh, a poll. And look at this. Pretty dramatic, right? Most folks are saying do not do rename. Not. Yep. Do not rename these streets um, Cesar Chavez Boulevard. Yeah. Right? They're saying uh, keep it Kings Canyon, Ventura, and California. By 49.5, so almost half the people say they should not be named. 35% say it should be renamed. Then then it kind of divides out. Some say only Ventura should be renamed. That's 8.4%. So a vast majority do not want Kings Canyon renamed. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. There's your poll, uh, folks. I think Fresno City Council is under a lot of pressure on this one, Darius. What the rumor out on the street is um, that Miguel Arias threw on a California as part of this deal at the last minute and really stiffed the folks on the west side, and they've made a strong argument that California should not be included. So what I'm hearing is that um, not quite the same as the banking crisis, but um, city council's in crisis, and they're going to change their plan. Okay, yeah. so yeah. Uh, maybe... Another crisis. Another crisis, because yeah. California may remain as California. California may remain as... They might, they might pull it out Okay, let that remain as... So if that happens, folks, you heard it here first. <laughs> Bold okay. prediction. Okay. Right. All right. Um, okay, next, let's talk about the rainfall. Let's put up our slide on rainfall. City of Fresno, over six, almost 17 inches to date. Normal for the whole season is... 11 inches. Yeah. So we're 60% roughly above that. Merced, eight, over 18. Madeira at 9 inches. Something's wrong with that number. I think uh, the meteorologist numbers can't be correct at 9 inches for Madeira. I think there was an airport issue. Paul, oh. can you check into those numbers? Make sure Paul is saying no. The numbers are accurate. Okay. And Bakersfield at 9 Bakersfield, South Valley is usually the driest. Okay. Yeah. And as we're talking about weather, first day of spring was actually yesterday. Right. At 2.24 p.m. our time. 
where winter is over. Over. Feels fine. It's gone. You like to give the boot to a lot of things. (laughs) I do. It's one of my favorite things. Okay. Well. Give the boot to winter. And, you know, we've had some rain, but it's not really cold, right? Yeah. I've, like, for instance, this last storm, it's rainy. But it's, I haven't been, I still haven't turned on my heat for all of that. No. Maybe some are, some are still doing that, but no. it just seems like it's <laughs> Exactly. So first day of spring, which was yesterday at 2.24 p.m., is also the Persian New Year for all of our Iranian, Persian, and the folks from that part of the world. Happy New Year to all of you. Um, no ruse, right? No ruse. Is that, is that what we, way we say it? That's exactly, which means way. new day. Yeah. No I took, means in high new. School, I took three years of Persian. Oh, and Iranian. In Iran, we were together in, in Tehran. <laughs> no, I'm actually, just I'm just kidding. Well, we're gonna. Are we gonna talk about that? Because it's also yesterday, or the day before yesterday, was the 20th anniversary of uh, that's Iraq coming up. Situation. We're, we're gonna, gonna talk, talk about. We're that. gonna so talk about that. Middle East thing. We that's right. About. We're gonna talk yep. about that. But uh, you were gonna be in black ops. That's why you learned Iranian Farsi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. They didn't want me. They wanted me to go to uh, Ukraine instead. And I said no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, th- <clears throat> uh, three hundred million people, by the way, celebrate Persian New Year's, or the uh, yeah. Yeah. Persian look at this um, graphic that we have here. What What are some of these specialties? What, I mean, this looks like special dishes to me. And let's put up. Let's put that up. Can we put gra- uh, graph six? Okay. There we go. Graph six is up. Yeah. This is, there, this is, so there are seven things, yeah. seven items, vegetables, with a, but that start with the letter, with the uh, word S. I'm sorry, oh. with the letter S. Okay. Okay. In, in Farsi. Okay. So all the things you see, seven things that resemble that. And then the mirror, Quran, and the goldfish are part of the old tradition. Uh, I don't, I, I should, oh, I should, but I should don't. know that. I should do. I now, should know look, that. Did you celebrate this as a child in Iran? In Iran. Okay, so, up. and you still do today. I still and Iranians do. around the world, 300 we do. million people. Yeah. You know, about the, you know, about the population of the United States. That's right. Maybe a little so, less. That's right. Celebrate. That's Norus exactly right. Every year. That's right. Yeah. That's cool. right. And also, <clears throat> around the same time, which uh, tomorrow, it looks like tomorrow or Thursday, is the first day of Ramadan. The, the fasting month for Muslims. See, that one's, to me, I can never put my finger on Ramadan. It changes every year. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Because Ramadan, or the Islamic calendar, is based on lunar, the lunar cycle. Okay. Which is about 10 days shorter than the Gregorian cycle. Okay. Uh, if I'm saying that correctly. So, um, over 10 days shorter. So, the, the, it, the, it, it shifts. Ten every days year. every year. So ten days earlier or ten days. Ten later? days earlier. Okay. So three years from now. Yeah. Three times ten is thirty. Instead of starting March twenty second, it'll start February twenty second. Oh, okay. So right. if the, that's the, why it shifts around. The challenge in the think, time that I've just in the time that I've known I've known you some time now, but yeah. the time that I've known you is like it's gone from summer. Summer. To yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. Now, it becomes complicated if you're like a, in Saudi Arabia or some of the countries that follow that calendar. So you're born in the middle of summer. You know, it happened to be whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, 15 years later, you're going to celebrate your birthday in the middle of winter. Oh, 
Because you because that day where you were born, you know, whatever yeah. the month is. Oh, that's shifting up, too. That oh, is the whole thing. That's shifts. why they can. That, it's you know, talk about giving the boot to a the, bad idea. Part of the issue is with the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. a Middle Eastern. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, but uh, we have a great article. Let's put that up. Slide seven. Uh, six things you should know about Ramadan that, that you may want to, want to take a look at. Um, with that, let's get into... Uh, we're going to talk about Russia first, uh, and then we're going to talk about Iraq. We have some data on Iraq, which is where? Where is our data on Iraq? It's actually for later on, I'm, but we're going to pull that up. So let's Iraq talk about... really starts around uh, 24. Yeah. You want to talk about Russia first? Either one. You go. Let's, Russia. Let's pull up Russia. So, so all kinds of things happening in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Putin was in Kiev. No. Mariupol. No. Yeah. Yeah. And now um, G is in premier of China. Is, is in, in Moscow. Is in Moscow. That's right. Yeah, all kinds of stuff going on. That's right. So there yeah. I guess what, what and what's what's really interesting uh, on that front is um, China and Russia are creating a partnership. All the sanctions against Russia, their GDP is actually doing better than yeah, before. They didn't work. It didn't work because they're work. buying stuff directly from China. But I thought, you no, know, you're not for the sanctions anymore. You've changed your mind. No, 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 no. I, you I'm, wanted I'm, strong I'm, sanctions on this. Here's my point on this war. We're not in this war. We're not aiding Ukraine to win. Yeah. We're well, aiding yeah. Ukraine just to sustain. Sustain for a long time. Sell more arms. Sell more arms. Sell more arms. We're aiding Ukraine so that we... Sell more arms. Not to really necessarily help Ukraine win. No, no, no. We just give enough, enough to just just to sustain barely on life support. Barely enough when the patient almost is dead, we give him more oxygen. There we go. Send him some tanks. That's right. Send him some jets. Never enough to do it. F 16s We're going to send F 16s there. Oh yeah. Sometime this year. We're just not going to talk about it right now. Then, then when Russia. Shoot, pops one of them down, then we're going to get all mad about it, and then yeah. we're going to send in people, human beings, yeah. we call them. So that, that will happen yeah. with, that's a forecast. Steve Brand, that forecast. <laughs> yeah, totally. By the well, end of the what, year. That's what the desire is of the neo, neocons. They want war. They love war. Well, we're gonna, whatever. Uh, yeah. Whatever it takes. Well, uh, the... Fire up the war machine. Let's talk about then, then if there's but nothing... China comes with a peace plan. China, that's right. They have a peace plan. China is going to be the new broker in the world. Where they well, they already did Iran and Saudi Arabia about three weeks ago. That's now right. They're working on um, peace between Ukraine and Russia. Now that one's I'm much more skeptical of that because they're not really a clean player. They're on one of the sides, right? That's They've right. Already chosen a side, so it's totally. a lot different. Totally. So uh, we got we got put slide A. Do we have any video on that? Do we have a Putin's video visiting Kiev? I'm not Kiev. I'm sorry, Mariupol. We don't have that. Uh, okay, with that, let's move on to um, Iraq for a minute. Before we dive into the banking sector, Iraq, how the Iraq war changed the world. Uh, sounds like we have a video on George W. Bush, is that correct? Let's play it. That's slide 24. Let me start with some of the banking issues we're dealing with on it. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered? Every bank, every their funds. Video on the bank. 
Uh oh, later. sounds like our team wasn't quite organized for tonight. Um, you have to have okay. a conversation with them later on. We can watch that video in a minute. <laughs> okay. We, we, you know, I mean, do fire unfiltered audience pretty sharp. They remember this deal, right? <laughs> they do. We went into Iraq because they yeah. told us weapons of mass destruction were there, and also that Iraq was involved in 9-11, the 9-11 attacks. Both of those deals <laughs> were wrong, or as people like me say, yeah. bullshit. Yeah, they right. was bullshit. That's there right. was no weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. No, I mean, we sent no. some of the top expert um, investigators over there. They looked under every rock. They weren't there. That's couldn't, right. Couldn't find them. And then this is something that I say every, as often as I can. On 9-11, we all remember what <clears throat> happened 9-11. Um, you know, we, there was all of the hijackers, the terrorists, right? There were 19 of those guys, 19. And Correct. I know you this. I know you know this. No. But just to remind the audience, there were 19 hijackers. Zero of them, Darius, were Iraqis. Did you know that? <laughs> That's correct. And but zero were Iranians. Yeah, zero Iranians. But guess what? Out of 19, 15 of them were Saudis. Yes. Whoa. That's and correct. And George Bush, you know, he's a brilliant man, George Bush, yeah. to do his mom. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, George, George said, we're going to go find the terrorists wherever they're at. Yeah. But he didn't go to Saudi Arabia. 15 out of 19 were from Saudi Arabia. That's true. He went to Iraq. And That's then true. he went to Afghanistan. And both of them were Gascos. Well, millions of dollars. Well, let's put up slide 25. 20 years later, the 20th anniversary yesterday, Bush's $3 trillion war fails to bring democracy to Iraq and the Middle East. $3 trillion of U.S. taxpayer money was spent. Yeah, for a big uh, nothing burger. And, and then we yeah. move on. Iraq never moves on. You know, now, the, you, somebody yeah. could say, hey, Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. We agree with that, right? Saddam, he's gone. That was maybe something good that came out of it, right? Yeah. But the truth is, there's bad guys like him all over the place. Don't go after every single That's bad right. guy, right? Pick and choose. That's right. Why is the headline not showing up on this image? Uh, should be 20 years later. Where's that headline? I guess it's well, I not. Can see all, I can see everything right in this soldier's face. Yeah. Three trillion dollars. Okay. Um, now, let's go to slide uh, 28. Okay. The cost of war in Iraq and billions of dollars, 2001 to 2023. Yeah. So on the... On the bottom right, two point nine uh, trillion dollars. Yeah. Two point nine trillion dollars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Between what they've ripped off there and when what the banks have uh, ripped off, you know, <laughs> yeah, rude. And and but, we really are right. It's all going. It's all falling apart. We're really good at. We're really good. Effing um, things up. Eddie Freedom actually is putting it up. It is. We know how to create chaos, going to Iraq. We're not interested in winning things. We want to, we want to kind of sustain a lot of chaos so we can set, uh, build, a, build and sell a lot of arms. Military, industri military industrial complex has got plants all over the United States. So mm -hmm. no congressman is going to want to shut down the defense. The, the, the difference between the Democrat version of the defense budget and uh -huh. the Republican is like 1% or 2%. Yeah, but there's another difference, though, I think, that Actors that we always getting in the war 
with guys like Joe Biden, whatever party he's from. But we don't get in war with yeah. guys like Trump, whatever party he's yeah. from, right? So we're in Biden's war right now. Good point. Well, what the world actually saw the, the departure, I want to say the runaway from Afghanistan that we did. Oh, yeah. The tail between ago. the legs thing. Yeah. And yeah. they go, hey, America is going to just run away. Well, is from that the why we have the Ukrainian I think, Russian deal? I think you called it first. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You know, I can't say that. Uh, in all reality, George W. Bush did get us into war. You know, but yeah. nobody claims him anymore. <laughs> no teams claim him. None of the two, neither of the two teams. Neither of the two no, teams. No, the red or blue, neither okay. team claims him. There's, a, by the way, a great movie, documentary slash movie. It's called Vice, about Dick Cheney and yeah. George W. Bush. Um, that if you, if you guys haven't seen that, uh, we, I highly recommend it. There was another great human being. George Cheney, I mean, Dick, Jane, Dick, Dick Cheney. Dick, Dick Cheney. Dick, yeah. Dick Cheney. Yeah. Dick, okay. Dick. Cheney and uh, Donald Rumsfeld, all these guys, warmongers. We have a whole batch of them now. Some of them are the same. Some of these people are still pounding the war drum. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And another good movie is a movie with Matt Damon in it called The Green Zone. Yes. So check that out. That's correct. on Amazon Prime or something like that. Rent it or buy it. That's a great, about the Iraq war. And then there's another one about the Iraq war, the uh, Fair Game with Valerie, the, the story oh, yeah. of that CIA Valerie agent. Yeah, yeah, that Dick Cheney. Uh, exposed, yeah. yeah, because she knew, she knew man. she was talking about there are no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Let's put up slide <clears throat> slide thirty. Estimate of U.S. war on terror spending in billions of dollars, which is now trillions of dollars. Let's put that up there. there put that. Up. That's from the Watson Institute uh, at the Brown Brown University. Not to mention the freedoms though, that have been taken away. And right? also not to mention the Patriot the, Act and yeah. those other brilliant things. Oh, you mean that they listen to our cell phones or every telephone <laughs> yeah. conversation and right. every... But we get mad at TikTok for doing things. <laughs> we, we do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Um, you know, the other thing that we don't talk about in our country, cost of war and trillions of dollars, U.S. life, U.S. blood, but also the civilian life on the other side. Right, the number of civilians killed. Uh, let's let's put up slide thirty-two. There we go. Um, and th this, the the numbers are astronomical. By one estimate, is about a, a million people that have died. This 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 number these numbers are a little bit uh, lower. Of course, depends on which website you you look at and. Uh, and you, you believe are, is credible, but um, Fallujah, many cities in, in Iraq just completely wiped out. And of course, Steve, we haven't talked about this here, but ISIS mm. got formed by a bunch of the, we went into well, Iraq, that, that green, the green zone, right? Yeah. Talks, we go into Iraq, after three months, we dismantled the government and all the military and put a bunch of those folks in jail. Yeah. So what do, you, what do they do in jail all day long? They commiserate, make up a plan, and eventually they escape or they're let out six, seven years later, eight years later, yeah. and, and they go Well, ahead. when we leave, you know, when we, when, let's we form, pack it all in. Let's form a new, let's form a it's new. It's all going to work. Let's form a new it's club. Unintended consequences. You and I have talked about this yeah. offline 
dozens of times about Iran, your home country. Yeah. Right. When yes. you were a young boy. Yeah. Uh, you can in you had a very similar lifestyle to me as a young boy in California. That's correct. But yeah. here's the deal: the United States government thought it was better to overthrow the Shah of Iran because he wanted to withhold like one percent more of the oil yes. or something like that's that. Correct. That's you know, that's from correct. America, and so um, they overthrew the Shah of Iran, and he was replaced by the Ayatollahs. They yes. come in and they're brutal thugs, right? They brutal don't even thugs. represent. Really, in my they, they don't, don't they don't represent Islam even they don't no. and and the people are being ruled brutally. We've seen this all this last year, and every day in America we cry and complain about Iran, but we help start the whole show. You're, you you had the nail on the head. I'm, I hope that the GBR unfiltered audience is paying attention to this because that, what you said is so so true. Overwhelming majority of Iranians are against their, that government. And that government, it, although it calls itself the Islamic Republic of Iran, is anything but Islamic. Right. They're anti-Islamic. Also, we did the same thing with Iraq, turned into Syria, turned into ISIS, right? Yeah. And then um, the Muslim Brotherhood, all of that stuff grew That's out right. of those vacuums yeah. which we create. And... And so is it going to be chaos? Any different? Yeah. Chaos 2.0. We know how to create that. Well, there's money to be made, Steve. Holy money to be made. Okay. We got to start talking. We got some guests banks. that are here to talk about have, the banking we have three, crisis, right? We have three great banks. Let's see. Let, let's take a look at any final thought, uh, thoughts or questions on <clears throat> uh, from on uh, Facebook. Uh, Inga, we talk about this. While Biden is funneling weapons and our money into Ukraine, yes, we talk, we've talked about that. Uh, is this a distraction from the current war? $2.9 trillion plus endless interest from Robert Wharton. And Eddie Friedman says George W. Bush is a war criminal. Yeah. Probably seen Green Zone. <laughs> and Robert Wharton, uh, the weapons of mass destruction invaded Iraq. Yeah. See, you know this... A lot of people don't buy it. Look, that was the CIA, and, and, yeah. and they twisted the arm of Colin Powell. They told us WMDs are over there. Now the CIA is telling us a bunch of silliness about Russia and Ukraine. Are we going to believe those guys? Always telling them. They've got their game. We all get sucked in. Government yeah. puts a nice spin. I remember George W. Bush had the media go into uh, Iraq in the, in the first few days of war. Showcase that. Okay, who's our guest tonight, Darius? Okay, we got to talk about this banking crisis. I'm going to read one last comment. China is capitalizing on the ineffective leadership in Washington, D.C. Yeah, but that's, that's true. Well, China we know is, that. We, yeah, we know that. that's from Inga. Okay, we have three awesome guests. We're going to switch the topic to the banks, uh, banking issues, challenges, crisis, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. And, and uh, but let's get, get all of our guests on the screen uh, so we can welcome... Uh, all of them. We have Steve Miller, President and CEO of Fresno First Bank. Uh, uh, good evening, Steve, and welcome. Thank you for joining us. I know you're you're out of town on a on an important trip, uh, but thank you for making the time to Great join time. us. Uh, we also have Sip thank you. Good evening. We also have Sapir Mansouri, um, who is a registered representative of Trans America Financial Advisors. And finally, we have Ryan. Good evening, Sefer. And then finally, we have Ryan Tonchev, who is Vice President uh, at California Bank and Trust. Thank you, gentlemen, for uh, joining us this evening. I'm going to uh, start off 
by a video from Janet Yellen. Gonna, uh, it's a very brief video. We're going to play that. And then we're going to go into the Federal Reserve's uh, Paul, uh, mandate. What, what is Federal Reserve and what are, what are they, uh, what is their mandate to do? And is any of the banking crisis related to what Federal Reserve has done over the last year and raising short-term interest rates substantially uh, and until recently helping uh, depress the bond market and, and therefore uh, seeing a lot of losses by a, a lot of banks across, across our country. Uh, but so with that, I want to turn it over to uh, uh, the video of Ms. Janet Yellen. Play that. Let me start with some of the banking issues we're dealing with on it. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered? Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your plan? that determination. Right. Right. So, so what is your plan? Okay. Uh, you saw that brief question from, from Ms. Yellen about the SVB. And so let's put up the, the, the mandate, the Federal Reserve mandate. Let's put that up for a, for a few minutes on the screen. And then I'm going to start with um, Steve Miller, Fresno First Bank. Uh, not this one. Uh, there we go, this one. Uh, Federal Reserve's um, monetary policy. The Federal Open Market Committee sets U.S. monetary policy in accordance with a mandate from Congress uh, to promote maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates in the U.S. economy. So that's where the Federal Reserve is. Uh, a, a, and whether it's private or public, and when it was founded in the early 1900s, I'm going to ask, the, ask Steve Miller to opine on um, Federal Reserve, what your thoughts are, are, Steve, on what's happening in the banking community. Uh, you <clears throat> are a CEO of a, a small local bank here in Fresno. Uh, I want you to tell us about that and how all what's happened over the last two weeks has impacted uh, the the banking industry, uh, and especially small banks. So please welcome uh, Steve Miller. Hey, thank you, Darius and Steve. Um, thanks for having me tonight. Um, you know, I, I guess uh, I'll focus on the banking sector. Um, you know, the Fed mandate's pretty clear, and I think, you know, one of their biggest concerns was inflation coming out of uh, the COVID crisis. So, um, you know, they, they wanted to make sure that they could get inflation under control. And I think out of control inflation, as we've learned in this country a couple of times, um, has a uh, much longer term impact. So, and it's always a delicate dance of doing too little or too much. And um, as they always joke, the Fed's predicted 
you know, uh, or they've tried to predict not in the last 10 recessions or whatever that joke goes and usually get it wrong. So um, I'm, I don't, uh, don't want to have their job. Um, but when it comes to banking, I think, you know, it was funny last week I was at a conference for banks and the whole conference was talking about bank failures. Um, so I was there two or three days understanding why banks fail. And then I came home a day later and um, was welcomed into uh, the whole issue of SVB and everything. Um, you know, banks are, uh, most commercial banks, um, and I'll speak on behalf of commercial banks, most commercial banks are very conservative. We lend out about 70 to 80% of the deposits that we have and the excess deposits that we have, we typically put um, into investments and those investments are usually government securities or some form of conservative liquid security that we can uh, sell. Um, the challenge is you take you take positions in terms of your duration on those investments. Um, and, um, you know, if you're right or wrong, that can mean you're either going to make more money or lose money. Um, and with the rapid increase in rates uh, since the end of last summer, um, a lot of banks and the majority of banks actually had uh, mark to market losses in their investment portfolios. But uh, most banks are, are pretty balanced. So, um, you know, it's a very small percentage of their capital. Um, they're not forced to take those losses. They're still getting paid a coupon um, for holding those securities. Um, in the case of uh, Silicon Valley, um, they took a really bad position. I think that's known to everybody. Um, and they were basically in a negative equity position um, probably since last December. Um, and there's um, a handful of banks across the country that that saw, you know, if they were forced to take those losses, they would be in a either a negative equity position or have a very low uh, leverage ratio. Um, the feds want most banks around an 8% leverage ratio. Um, Silicon Valley was technically negative um, and a handful of other banks are in the low single digits. So, um, but again, you don't have to recognize those losses until you're forced to sell those securities. Um, so they had the problem, they were trying to fix it. I think they communicated it incorrectly um, during that week. And then they had a run on their deposits. And if you lose too many deposits too quickly, then you're forced to liquidate certain things. Um, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's in essence what happened. Um, and I don't think there's a I don't think there's a problem in the banking system. Um, but you know, because of the rapid raise in increase, uh, rapid increase in rates, um, you know, banks are the last ones to kind of suffer from that. So if you think about, you know, the cheap money's gone. So all the cheap money that was filling, you know, tech ventures and these things, all that money got pulled away starting last summer. So they all had to pull back and started hurting hedge funds and all these, you know, the commercial banking system would be the last group that would be impacted by that. And unfortunately we saw, you know, what can happen, um, you know, uh, in terms of being in the, in the wrong position there. But you know, 99% of the banks, there's about 4,950 banks in the country. Um, they're all in great shape. They're all very liquid. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, I think it could have caused a panic. I think the feds did the right thing by stepping in. Um, now, the comment that Yellen made is a um, is probably the touchiest subject now because it has to do with, you know, FDIC insurance. And, and then you get into a lot of battles between big bank and small bank and things like that. So... Hey, Steve, um, do you feel, a couple questions, do you feel, so now the bank that's in the crosshairs, it kind of went from Silicon Valley Bank and Signature, then it jumped across the ocean to Credit Suisse. Now it's coming back 
to uh, Republic. First Republic or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah First Republic. You feel, and uh, look, First Republic, I don't know what they closed at today, 12, 13, 14. I mean, this, this stock price was over 100 like about eight days ago, right? Okay. So um, do you feel like enough's been done, or do you still feel like some of these regional banks are still have the crosshairs on them and and more needs to be done? And I know, to, and then so my second question is, tomorrow's the Fed's board meeting, and I, I think they're still supposed to raise it 0.25 or something, but... Some are just screaming and yelling that they should take a pause and not raise it at all. So what are your thoughts on that? Has, is the contagion over with, or do you think uh, First Republic is still going to go down? And then also, what are your thoughts about the Fed tomorrow? Uh, well, I'll answer the first thing you mentioned, Credit Suisse. So obviously, you know, some of this stuff, everyone starts peeling back the onion. If you go back to 2008, Credit Suisse has been a mess for 15 years. Um but when something like this happens, you know, you, you really can't get away from it. So um, they've had bad actors in their bank. And, and if you go back over the last 15 years, I don't think anyone would be surprised by Credit Suisse. Um, and again, you know, they had to pay the price. Uh, their government stepped in and um, their biggest competitor got a $600 billion bank for what, $2.5 billion, not a bad, yeah. not a bad deal for them. So, uh, but I think that's been contained. Um, you know, I, I think, um, the in the you know in the U.S. I think that you know most of the stuff that's been contained. Everyone's on high watch, paying attention to what's going on. That doesn't mean they're not going to have people that are in in a weak position for all the things I mentioned earlier. Uh, but I think there will be a, a, a more orderly way of dealing with those. Um, First Republic's a great bank. Um, they have slightly different issues than SVB. Right. Um, their their book of loans is is underwater. Um, you know, if you're making a 3% rate on a mortgage and you have to pay 4% for deposits, um, that's a tough business to be in. <laughs> so, um, but I think they, in essence, have a backstop. Um, if you think about who's supporting them and, and kind of reading the tea leaves, um, I would imagine that First Republic will either kind of muddle through on their own or they'll have, um, you know, they'll, they'll be consumed by somebody. Um, so I, I think all of that stuff has been contained. Um, and I think people, you know, should feel confident that the right decisions were made. Um, Steve, I forgot your last question. And then what about oh, the tomorrow, tomorrow, the Fed? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, you know, um, again, I don't, I don't want to be in the business of prognosticating rates or anything, but um, I, I think 50 basis points is off the table. Um, I don't think it really matters whether they do 25 or zero, um, you know, because a lot of people are expecting the 25. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you have the second and third largest bank failures in the history of the United States, that doesn't sound too much of a soft landing to me. Um, uh, but the real question is inflation. Um, you know, their bigger problem is they. you mentioned $3 trillion spent in Iraq. Well, we spent $4 trillion in six months during COVID that we didn't need to. So, well, and that, that, money's, that money's still out there. And I think the hard part for them is that the rates are supposed to temper inflation, but they can't get rid of their balance sheet. They're only releasing $100 billion a month. It'll take them three and a half years to, to take back the money supply. Mm -hmm. and, I, and that's just a tough position. Like you can argue whether they did the right thing or not during COVID, no one really knew. Um, but you know, now you have to kind of deal with other things and it's very difficult to deal with. Again, I'm not envious of their role. Okay. That's good analysis. Thank, thank you, Steve, for that great analysis. Uh, uh, I've got a question for our next guest, Ryan Tonchev, uh, who leads 
uh, California Bank and Trust. And then after that, we're going to go to the pair Mansouri and ask, uh, where should Americans put their money? And uh, you advise a lot of uh, individual folks uh, across uh, you know, our community. But, but before that, it, it, I got a question for Ryan. Is Federal Reserve the problem? Steve just alluded to there's $4 trillion we printed and we put into the economy. It's almost like a snake eating an elephant. Right, that that thing that that four trillion is got to go through the system. It creates a lot of inflation at the time where people were actually not, were not working, and the demand was high because we're at home mm-hmm. and we have cash and we want to spend money. So we uh, we knew it was going to create inflation. Actually, Larry Summers came out, the Clinton um, Treasury Sec- Secretary from uh, gosh, when was it was two decades ago. Uh, he came out about a year and a half ago and said. A second stimulus should have only been $300 billion. That's what was the shortfall in uh, wages nationwide. Mm-hmm. But we spent about almost $1.9 trillion. I want to say before, but that was a bipartisan support. And we forget, you know, during the crisis, how so many Republicans and uh, Democrats all wanted to get as much money into the hands of the electorate, the hands mm-hmm. of the voters, to say, in a crisis, we're going to come in and actually put money in your pockets. And some number, $800 billion, a trillion dollars of that money is still in the system, hasn't been spent. And until we go through all of that, inflation is going to be very difficult uh, to bring down below 3%. So a question for Ryan. <clears throat> is the Fed the problem? Federal Reserve uh, printing so much money at the direction of, I'm assuming, government and uh, lending it, putting it into the system, buying bonds, putting it into the system, or lending it to the Treasury, uh, is federal, and also now raising rates so aggressive, aggressively, uh, and where the bond market has dropped, and so many of these banks are, have lost so much money, as Steve Miller was saying earlier, uh, is the Fed part of the problem? You know, as you know, Darius, the Fed loves printing money, and I think it's so as long as we're in this... Uh, <clears throat> inflationary environment, we're going to kind of see more of the same. And, uh, you know, they, they certainly can be um, kind of a, uh, you know, um, kind of a thorn in our side. And so far as the banking is concerned, um, you know, I think basically, you know, we kind of where we are for two main reasons. And one is kind of on the macroeconomic uh, scale, you know, affecting the whole economy. And one is probably obviously specific to these banks, as Steve had alluded to earlier, you know, the macro factor is that, you know, the U.S. Federal Reserve in the last few years, especially during the COVID years, put in a large amount of money to pay for COVID rescue and other federal deficit spending. Um, of course, this caused a large amount of money to come out into the economy, kind of like a, a high tide of liquidity, if you will, um, to kind of use a maritime metaphor there. Uh, but then came high inflation as a result, and the Federal Reserve started to start addressing that process. You know, as rates started ticking up. And so the money started coming out, or at least what academics would say that's continuing uh, to this point by, you know, the goal of continuing to increase the rates, which seems to be exacerbating the problem until something breaks. Um, so when you have liquidity rising and subsequent fa- falling of that, uh, it creates basically, a, you know, a rough, rough financial seas. Um, some banks out there are, are seaworthy to a certain extent, its extent, and they're able to ride that out, and others simply cannot. And those two banks that were particularly uh, not seaworthy 
um, primarily were, you know, more or less uh, not really diversified and had increased exposure uh, to particular industries um, in a nutshell in that Brian, case. Brian, so, do you think these two banks particularly um, got bailed out because uh, there are a couple, you know, there's a lot of billionaire friends of the uh, Biden administration operating <laughs> in Silicon Valley. I mean, they give, well, they give, they give, yeah. they give to one side, you know, there's a, it's a political thing going on. They right. give to one side, you know, predominantly, and they, you know, they give to 30, $40 million to Black Lives Matter and a bunch of this stuff. Yeah. And they go down and they get bailed out. <laughs> Amazing. Is Would yeah. um, California Bank and Trust get bailed out if, if you guys struggled? I mean, this is, this is where we're at in America now. It's really ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's really a political question at the end of the day. And unfortunately, it seems to collide with, um, you know, I think what should be more policy-driven things. And I, I certainly can see how, um, you know, there was a lot of concentration, at least depending on what news site you look at, uh, where donor money was coming from with the current administration. So I can see that. But I, I would like to think in my mind that, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve just took, you know, swift, decisive action and, and kind of put a cork into something that could have led to something a lot bigger from a macro uh, yeah, but Steve, um, Silicon Valley Bank wasn't bailed out. I think you have to think about what happened, actually. Um, if you're a shareholder of Silicon Valley or worked at that bank, you didn't get bailed out. The equity holders are zero. Um, all the senior managers are fired and all their equity is taken out. The decision was, was to back the deposits of the customers of that bank because they felt that there was contagion. Now, you can figure out who the depositors are mm -hmm. and, and there's some issues there and there's a lot of concentration to, to what Ryan said. But I think it's important to understand there's been about 80 bank failures in the past 15 years or so and um, big and small and no one's lost a dime in deposit. And I, so it's the, the issue at hand now is really the FDIC, you know, you have your $250,000 coverage. Um, there's differences between too big to fail and small banks and how that works. But mm -hmm. Um, you know, the decision was made to protect all the depositors. I think that during that weekend, it was probably the right decision to make. Um, but you know, if you, if you own Silicon Valley stock, you're at zero. There's no bail. No, this isn't like, you know, this isn't okay. like GM. We need, we need to move on. Okay. So it wasn't really, yeah, no, he's yeah. got a good definition yeah. of bailout. I use the word bailout very, it's not like a 2008 bailout. Right. But you know, th there was some stuff going on. Yeah. Any uh, final comments from Ryan? Yeah. Ryan, is Ryan still with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Any final comments uh, from Ryan? I think you're showing Steve. We need to show Ryan. Okay. Ryan, any final comments before we go to uh, Seper? Uh, no, I have no no other comments. I mean, every, there's a there's a lot of stuff that's uh, you know quite subjective, and you know it could be obviously I'm I'm here under my own you know my own behalf and not necessarily the viewpoints of Zion's Bancorp, but uh, you know I, I I certainly can see you know the different points of view with the earlier discussions of, of the bailout and whatnot, but uh, yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on to Seper. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank and you for having me. Uh, first of all, happy Persian New Year to you. Happy Persian New Year to you, Nooruz Mubarak. Man. Thank, thank you, Sefer. Okay, uh, if I'm a uh, president or center, live in Central California, and I've seen all this news, 
about what's going on in the bank, banking industry. And I'm thinking, of so many people have asked me, including you, Steve, mm -hmm. is my money safe in the bank? Where shall I put my money? What, where, where shall I invest? What would you tell me? Great question. Great question. Thank you for the question and the opportunity uh, to speak. Before I say anything, uh, just an upfront disclosure, anything that I share uh, should not be considered or, or constitute financial advice. Uh, all of your listeners need to consult their own personal financial uh, 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 professional to get the information that's right for them, nor does it reflect anything that I share is, is simply my opinion, doesn't reflect anything that uh, Transamerica Financial Advisors believes or would, would advise. But uh, to answer your question, sir, I think the banks are, are pretty still safe, uh, as, as your uh, other panelists mentioned, both Ryan and Steve, is that the FDIC is still intact. The federal government is still intact. Uh, there's still a $250,000 uh, minimum uh, guarantee on your money. If you're a depositor and you've got ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in the bank, you're safe um, for the most part. You, you should feel reasonably comfortable that the government's going to be able to back up uh, your deposits should, God forbid, anything happen. Now, beyond that amount, maybe consider diversifying if you have more than 250000 So if you're sitting on a large lump sum of cash, perhaps spread ac across multiple accounts from multiple banks, that's certainly a, a good idea and one that you know we would recommend um, just so that you're not overly exposed. I think right now, the biggest mistake we can make as, as a society or as a group of people is to do exactly what, what Steve said, fall into that group think and, and it become a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think uh, we need to take a moment and, and really just stay calm, look at things for what they are, let things pay out, plan out. And if you are overly concerned, certainly meet with a financial professional, professional uh, especially, especially one that is licensed and experienced, meet with that individual, go through your financial situation, maybe give yourself a financial stress test. That's one of the things that we do for our clients. We do a comprehensive financial stress test and we say, okay, let's look at your liquidity needs. Let's look at how much risk you're taking, can you weather a financial storm, um, and then make recommendations uh, along the, those lines that best suit the needs of the individual clients. I think that's an important thing for us to do because we don't want to question the trust uh, or, or start something that causes uh, a snowball effect where we're all questioning the trust within our system because uh, that could lead to some pretty serious side effects down the road. Okay. Uh, I've got a question for actually all of our panelists. First, a comment. The odds, the latest odds tonight on Federal Reserve raising rates tomorrow, 89% rate, uh, possibility of a 25 basis points or a quarter percent. So uh, short-term interest rates going up a quarter percent tomorrow. Uh, here's a question for any of the three panelists that want to take it on. Uh, Let's just go real quickly and ask all of them. All of them. Stress yeah. tests. Uh, uh, Separate brought up, brought, up, brought up stress tests. The, the banks used to go through a stress test, I'm not sure, every year or so. And under the Trump administration, stress tests was no longer required, was removed from the banking uh, industry. Is that, first of all, correct? And is that part of the issue on why Silicon Valley Bank failed? Can, can uh, anybody answer yeah, that question? No, the, so the, the rule was that um, before the Trump administration, any bank that had $50 billion or more in assets had to go through um, very specific stress tests because they were considered systemically important to the entire financial system. Um, 
mo a lot of people felt that number was too low because you know the top four the top six banks in the country control about 83% of the assets so going down to 50 was a bit cumbersome on that 50 billion dollar bank cost a lot of money to have staff doing that testing um it was raised to 250 billion during the Trump administration um i don't if you look at what happened with silicon valley and with silvergate um and with um signature that is banking 101 they were heavily concentrated in a couple um, segments that were focused on tech. They were focused on very small amounts of customers. Um, I get looked at in those things. So it doesn't, that stress test was, it, it, yes, it's important. I don't think that had anything to do with, with these two banks based, you know, the, the reality is they, they had failures and other things that every bank in the country has to get um, audited on as the regulators come through every 12 to 18 months. So um, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Now that'll be a political lightning rod because everyone will point to Trump, but I, that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't accept that because those banks had issues that even I have to deal with and get asked on a daily basis by the regulators. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, at the end of the day, just to, just to ride a little bit on Steve's coattails, you know, these, these two banks had, you know, kind of singular characteristics that proved to be unstable, you know, particularly, you know, what they were dealing with uh, and just right in the face of the rising interest rate environment that really set those banks apart. Um, one being, you know, they had extremely high growth rates in the recent years and their concentrations of large uh, uninsured deposits uh, from clients in the technology and the cryptocurrency space industry, respectively, really kind of put them in the crosshairs. Uh, it's kind of a perfect storm, if you will. Um, SBB experienced you know, very rapid growth in the past decade, uh, growing at a compounded rate of just over 25% uh, from 21 billion to just over 200 uh, billion um, at the end of 2022. And that's quite substantial when we look at just kind of normalized growth within banking as an industry. Um, and their, you know, their business is focused, uh, you know, supporting venture capital uh, community and the portfolios company, you know, backed by venture capitalists. And they have become kind of the preeminent bank serving those early stage technology firms. And many of those tech companies had not yet made profit and were burning through cash and, uh, you know, provided by investors. And that cash was a substantial source of SVP's uh, total deposits at the end of the day. So there was a lot of risk involved with kind of, a, I would say, a rather unique banking model. Very so I'd like to ask all three of them, you know, a, a couple, because we only oh, have a few minutes left. That's right. And these guys Rapid. are all pros. I'd rather hear from Let's them. Let's do it. And so... Do you feel like, and so this question is to all three of you, um, sure. do you feel like the, the heat of the crisis is over? Not to say that there's not going to be some struggles, but the main bulk of the crisis is over. Uh, people are a little less afraid today than they were last Friday, and uh, that uh, we're going to work ourselves out of it. Or do any of the three of you feel like there's still going to be severe tough times ahead in the banking sector? I think if if you don't mind me jumping in and then I'll let the banking experts speak, I think from the perspective of an individual uh, depositor, uh, to go back to your question, Darius, around stress test, anything that we can do to reinforce and, and make people feel comfortable so that they can place their emergency funds and have at least three to six months worth of their savings set aside somewhere safe, like a bank, uh, anything that we can do to reassure them 
uh, is a good thing. Now, I can't see the future. I can't prognosticate like uh, I wish I could. I'd be a very wealthy man if I could. But what I can say is that the best thing for people to do is to is to understand where they sit, have a knowledge, a knowledgeable person guiding them. Don't make rash decisions emotionally. The market will go up, will go down. We don't know what the economy is going to do. However, if you're the average person listening, the best thing you can do is have a firm understanding of where you are, plan for just in case if something goes wrong, um, what would you be able to do? Meet with that individual, make sure you have answers, make sure you have adequate liquidity, adequate time uh, timeline in your horizon, and you're not overly exposed with too much risk or concentrated, just like you said the banks were. We want to make sure that the average individual doesn't fall into that. Uh, we can't see the future, but the best thing we can do is mitigate against some of the more common things that we believe are a possibility um, and be able to ride it out long term. As I think especially for investors today, a long-term mindset is hugely important, is understanding that knee-jerk reactions are, are probably the worst thing you could do and could only exacerbate a problem for yourself. Perhaps wait a little bit longer and seek that professional. Get yourself the answers you need, but go ahead. Sounds like good advice, Pepper. Thank you. Yeah. How yeah. about the other two, Steve or Ryan? Uh, do you think that we're out of the bulk of the, of the heat of the moment and we're kind of past the crisis point? Or do you I, feel like there's still some severe problems in the banking sector? Yeah, we'll let Steve close us out. But uh, I, you know what? I, I'm going to say it really depends on where the narrative takes us at the end of the day. If the, if the Federal Reserve or mainstream media wants to continue to kind of propagate, um, you know, uncertainty within regional and small banks, we're going to have some trouble. And I think the loss of confidence within, you know, our the customer base, uh, that, that'll, that'll pose some challenges. Um, and, I, and I think once we start, um, you know, giving that assurance within the market, supported by, you know, Janet Yellen, uh, being a little more confident in that she will be able to backstop banks of any size um, and just kind of put that in there as an injection to, you know, into the mindset of, of everybody. I, I think we're going to be better off for it. Um, so, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of the banks who, who may have, you know, be saddled with, you know, low yielding bonds as part of their portfolio, to Steve's point earlier, a lot of those are held, you know, to maturity, there's no reason for them to have to tap into that and you know realize actual losses. Of course, the uh, Federal Reserve <clears throat> has came out with the bank term funding program to allow that liquidity uh, to to ad address liquidity concerns in the meantime. So at the end of the day, it, it really is going to it's going to depend on the narrative. And, and so far as I'm concerned, Steve, did you have uh, any thoughts on are we past the heat of the moment during the banking crisis, or still is the banking sector still have trouble brewing? Uh, I mean, I, I would say that uh, your the fear, which you guys talked about at the beginning, look, our entire business is based on uh, trust. Um, I think that fear has been subsided. Um, I think the feds did what they needed to do. Um, and I think people need to understand um, the, the crisis in 08 was a banking issue because banks made poor decisions. They took big risks. The banking system is twice as strong as it was back then. Our capital ratios are twice as high. The new rules that were put in place um, are very, very different than they were. Um, the issue that happened recently is because rates have gone up um, very fast, um, and it caused some problems for a couple of people. I think that you know people should be very confident in the banking system. Um, it's stronger than it's ever been. Um, 
but there will be volatility. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I think, I think the rate increase or staying flat is probably less important than what he says afterwards, which is, hey, we're done for a while, those types of things. Um, but I think it's going to be very volatile. But in terms of bank strength, um, it, you know, it's if we can restore that trust that, you know, Suffer talked about, um, I think that's been done. Um, and, you know, uh, people need to stop watching Squawk Box and, and looking at lists of, hey, who's next to fail? Like, that doesn't right. help. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that stuff, you got to remember, those guys are making money by selling ads. Um, they have no clue what actually happens at, at a normal bank. So um, people need to people need to call their bank and ask. <laughs> so. And I think that uh, if I remember the um, CEO of uh, Silicon Valley Bank got on Squawk Box or one of the shows and stumbled in one of his answers, and that didn't help the whole situation. So you're right. A lot of people mm. are just, you know, very fearful and waiting for one little piece of bad information. That's great. I'm going to ask one other question. You may or may not want to answer this one, but it's it's not really coming from me. It's coming from um, one of our Facebook Live. So first of all, a couple of comments. Mo um, Elahi and Mo, I don't know if I've got your last name. I'm pronouncing it right. But you said, excellent point of view about diversification is the key. I was on uh, Sefer's comment. Yeah, Sefer's yeah. comment. Okay. But then we've had several <clears throat> comments about feds have announced central bank digital currency. And and there's been a couple of questions about digital currencies. And so I know that in general, the banking system and the whole Bitcoin and digital currency thing, they're like on a collision course. But is the government going to get involved in that game, do you feel? Or are they still just be Maybe give us give our viewers a one minute on digital currency versus cryptocurrency. And, and how, is that, there's a lot of several articles out there that says, this is what's going to save the banking industry. We're all going to be digital. Is that is that true? What are your thoughts on that? And, and we're going to wrap up after this, unless you have any other questions. No, that's good. Okay. Uh, so let's start with Steve, Ryan, and uh, Stepper. Uh, yeah, so the U.S. digital currency is, you know, kind of a thought process of um, – you, you have a kind of a uh, Bitcoin-esque, but it's kind of controlled by the Fed, um, backed by the government, uh, but it's truly on distributed ledger, which is the technology behind all cryptocurrency. Um, you know, it is something that they're talking a lot about. Right now, you see a lot of um, digital coins that are pegged to the dollar. Um, but in essence, that dollars, those dollars have to fit somewhere. So last week, those dollars were sitting at Silicon Valley Bank, which is kind of funny. It's a digital coin pegged to the dollar that was sitting at a bank, right? That failed. Um, you know, I, I think that um, it really depends on how the Fed wants to control it. Um, but most governments around the world are looking at digitizing their currency. But in reality, I mean, when's the last time you carried around cash? I mean, right now, most stuff is digital anyways, and most people deal digitally. So it's not that much of a reach, um, but that is very different than an alternate currency, or I don't think um, Bitcoin's a currency, but it doesn't te uh, test the definition. Uh, but that the U.S. Right. digital right. experiment okay. is very different than than say Bitcoin or some the other two hundred coins that are out there. Any comments from uh, Ryan. Ryan or Seper? Because we're gonna this will be the final comments, yeah. final comment, and then we're gonna no. we're wrapping up. It, it's probably inevitable. Darius and Steve, that uh, we do transition to digital currency at some point. I mean, there's already pilot programs and there's a program called FedNow 
that may be rolling out at the end of the year um, or, or early next year um, that's going to kind of kick us off. You know, depending on where you're reading your information from, you know, there's there's talk about, you know, bank consolidations in order to, you know, put this out there. Um, but and, and if you hear on Capitol Hill, Hill, there's obviously discussions about privacy concerns and, and all that other stuff um, as it relates to digital currency and, you know, kind of giving you're giving up some control, I guess, okay. would be a concern around that. But uh yeah, these are these are real things. And um, to Steve's point, you know, it's, um, you know, when's the last time we've really carried cash? It's just other implications surrounding that, that I would probably be more mindful and willing to learn. Agreed. That uh, anything from you? Unfortunately, uh, I can't speak. Uh, the, I think cryptocurrency and those things are outside of my purview. I can't okay. speak on that. Uh, but what I can say is, you know, the conversation today is one that I think everybody benefited from. And I want to thank Steve and, and Ryan for, for uh, reassuring everyday people that there are good people such as you watching out for their money. Um, I think that that is the biggest concern that people have is how does this affect their pocketbook on the day to day? Um, and, and for those of you who, who are listening in as listeners, um, the, the importance of you taking control of your own financial situation is really the key. No one's going to give you a silver bullet. Take control of your situation, understand where you stand, um, and make decisions that are best for you and your family. I think that's the, the most important thing that I'd like to share. But back to you, Darius. Thank you, Seper. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Seper Ansuri. Uh, with Transamerica, uh, Steve Miller, CEO of Fresno First Bank, and Ryan Tonchev, Vice President, California Bank and Trust. Thank you for joining us this evening. Hey, I'd like to have these guys back on if we could. Absolutely. I mean, in reality, I mean, people still, I mean, this has been a great show. And to have three yeah. guests of this quality, really good for our audience. And so if you guys don't mind, we might have you back on together again, or maybe one or two of you at different times. Um, as we look at these, uh, you know, these banking and financial issues. That's right. Thank you for. I want to you. talk about China, though, Steve. Yeah, we'll go China next time. I don't, I don't want to talk about boring banking all the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll talk China. Thanks, guys. Pu China, Putin, Iran, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, Get these guys in on that. On behalf of all of us and Steve Brandau um, uh, at GB Wire, have a great evening. And uh, stay dry. We've got a lot of, lot of uh, rain coming tonight and into the morning. And again, thank you all, all three of our guests for your incredible insights shared tonight with the GB Wire Unfiltered audience. Good night thank you. and great week.